The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. We are doing a series in September. We've uh, been telling you about it some. Uh, the first steps, if you aren't in a small group and would like to participate, you can pick up a turquoise-colored insert that looks like this on the racks in the hallway. Uh, if you'll sign up, we'll make sure that we uh, get you associated with a small group for the month of September. It's a great opportunity uh, to do that. Uh, we're starting numerous small groups throughout our community. Uh, Sunday mornings, you'll be hearing starting uh, Labor Day weekend, we're going to have my good friend Stuart Briscoe with us, our friend who uh, just love to hear him preach the word. He'll be with us Labor Day weekend. And then the next three weekends, we'll be doing this series. And then our small groups will follow along uh, as we have written some curriculum for that. So if you'd like to participate, pick up one of those turquoise colored sheets in the rack, uh, fill it out. We'll make sure you get associated with a group along the way. Uh, speaking of school beginning, uh, when school begins, we have an influx of kiddos. Our attendance increases uh, usually about 20%, and uh, that's happening already, as you can see. And so uh, college kids will be back with us next week. We have the UMHB football team at the 11 o'clock hour next week. So if you want a seat at 11 o'clock, get here early, or you might want to come to 930 next week because they'll have about 200 young men uh, who will be with us, worshiping with us next Sunday. Uh, but in the area of children's ministries, we have a great opportunity to teach our kiddos at the level that they're on. And uh, many of you have been on the receiving end for many, many years. It's a great opportunity for you to give back. It's an opportunity for you to participate in ministering the kids and seeing some of their lives change. Uh, last week, we had 490 kids just before school started from nursery through fourth grade only. So uh, when the kiddos come back, there's even more opportunity for us to minister uh, you can take a look at some of the needs that are there. You can sign up. There's information in the bulletin. Great way to expose uh, families, young families, to TBC is Summer Fun this Wednesday. And uh, we've rented it just for TBC and those that you invite. And uh, the details are there. We do ask for modest dress for that occasion. No Speedos for guys, no other stuff for gals. I've left mine at home. Your Bibles, your apps, Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6, that's where we are. Judges chapter 6. We are doing a short series in the month of August I've entitled Then and Now. We're looking at what's happened in the nation of Israel then and paralleling to what's happened in our culture, our world, our nation now. And so we're looking at then and now. This morning we, this morning we look at the life of Gideon and uh, I can't help, but every time I read through the life of Gideon to over and over, I find myself saying, no way, no way, no way. I, I mean, I read through Gideon's life and my mind is, no way, no way that's happening. No, no way that's a, and just over and over in my mind as I read through Gideon's life and chapter six through eight that we're going to be looking at this morning, I find myself saying, no way. You ever see a picture or see something happen and you think, your first response is no way. I mean, there, there's no way that that's happening. No way. And so I look at that and I say, no way. I mean, that's just not, I look at that and say, no way, that poor guy, look at that. I mean, his whole barge has turned over. I say, no way, that's just absolutely awful to be in that situation. I said, no way. <laughs> actually, if you met our third grandson, you would say, yes way. He would do that to himself, actually. Uh, and I, I look at that and say, no way. I actually looked in the back window for a sticker from a certain university and it's not there. So you can figure out which university that is. Uh, but uh, no way. And there's Dallas scoring a touchdown. I go, no way. I mean, you got to be kidding me. No way. 
That's how uh, reading the life of Gideon is to me. I, I read it over and over. I go, no way. I mean, there's no way that that's really happening. I, I mean, I, I read what's saying, but then I look at the world around us and I go, no way. There's no way. There's no way that the things I'm seeing are coming to fruition in our world, in our culture, in our society, in our nation. I want to throw my hands up and say, no way. No way. When we read through Gideon's life, we're going to see uh, that Israel become a nation that turned its back on God. But we're going to see Israel was a nation running rather than facing their enemies, running from rather than facing their enemies. The, the, the nation of Israel had a complete void in leadership, and the nation of Israel was questioning rather than trusting God in spite of all he had done for them and provided for them. And, and, and that the nation of Israel, specifically the leader that God chooses in the midst of success and prosperity, rejects God. And after each one of those, I say, no way, no way, no way. But then I look at our world and say, yes way. Yes way. Happening on our watch. What happened then is happening now. Rejecting God instead of trusting God, being blessed from God, and not honoring the one who's blessed us. Avoid a leadership. It goes on and on and on. Well, the story begins with the defection of Israel. If you look at chapter 6, verse 1... It says, and the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Say with me, evil in the sight of the Lord. Evil in the sight of the Lord. That is a theme that's played over and over in Judges. Look up here in the screens with me for a second. This is Judges 2.11. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Judges 3.7. The Israelites, read it with me, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Judges 3.12. Again, the Israelites, read it with me, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Judges 4.1, again, the Israelites, read it with me, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The passage we're looking at, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, You begin to see a pattern here? I I mean, it's tragic. When you see what's written in the scriptures over and over and over again in Israel, what we see, there's a cycle throughout the judges. Basically, the nation walks with God. The nation defects from that walk with God. God disciplines the nation that they respond in obedience, but then they fall into sin once again. Sound familiar? I mean, it's what happens in our lives personally. It's what's happened in our life nationally. We walk with God for a season. We're founded upon principles that really were principles that honored God. But after a season, we begin to walk in disobedience. God disciplined us. We repented. And now we walk again. That happens in our lives individually. It happens certainly. It happened, happened and is happening in our nation even right now. Over and over again, the nation of Israel swallowed the Lord that Satan cast out before them. And they would be hooked and they would be dragged into the depths of rebellion. That's basically the story of the judges. Then God would raise up a judge who would bring them back to repentance, and then they would fall prey to the same trap. They fell prey to the same sin over and over and over again. I would dare say that many of us fall into the same thing. We find ourselves falling into the same pit over and over again and over again, going the same direction away from God. Sometimes we feel like Paul in Romans chapter 7 when he says, I know the things I should do, but I find myself doing the things I shouldn't do, and I know the things I shouldn't do, and I find myself doing those. That's what happened in the nation of Israel. If you were with us last week, you say, Pastor Gary, give me a specific example from Israel's history then, and maybe something that's happening now. Specifically, if you were with us last week, we saw that God warned the nation of Israel, when you go into the land of the promised land, you're to get rid of all the ites, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Amor- et cetera, et cetera, including the Midianites. And when you go there, you're to utterly destroy them all. The nation stopped. And God also said in Deuteronomy 7, if you marry their women, you're going to worship their gods. 
And so the nation of Israel didn't destroy them all. They began to intermarry with their women. They began to worship their gods. So they overlooked, if you were with us last week, we saw that they disobeyed God's specific directions and warnings regarding marriage. Same thing happens in our day and age. We do the same thing. We decide we're going to do what we want, when we want, how we want. And so we're a nation that's struggling with that problem right now. I read an article this week, Getting the Keys Before the Ring. It has to do with the number of couples living together in America to all-time high. Couples living together out of wedlock. Uh, Young ladies, basically what that man is telling you, I want to try you out to see if you're worthy to marry. Don't do it. And young man, if you claim to name the name of Christ, don't invite that young lady to live with you. You honor her as a Christian sister because one day she'll be somebody's wife and chances are she's not going to be yours. Statistically, this is what happens. 48% of women, they'll move in with their mates as a first step before getting married. Only 40% of those couples actually tie the knot. He's saying, I want to see if you're good enough. And the majority of the time he says, you're not, and he kicks you out. And so in America, the number of single parents, uh, we have skyrocketed. And uh, some of you are single parents, and you've got the most difficult job in the world. And we, we do intercede for you, and we're glad you're here. Some of you are single parents because of sin. Some of you are single parents because uh, you didn't. It's not you that you had a spouse that was unfaithful who left you, et cetera, et cetera. But it's the most difficult job in the world. So when we talk about things that was happening, then things happening now, here's just one small example. The nation of Israel had defected from following God. This defection brought about the discipline of God. The discipline of God was through the Midianites. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of the Midianites for seven years. That's discipline. For seven years, over and over, year in, year out, the Midianites invaded during the time of harvest. They invaded the the Israelites. They took all of their crops. They took all their livestock. When the nation of Israel was so scared, they headed for the caves, literally. Look at verse 2. And the power of Midian prevailed against Israel because of Midian, the sons of Israel, made for themselves dens, which were in mountains and caves and strongholds. And so they would go and tuck their tails and hide. Uh, Verse 3, for it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against the Israelites. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel, as well as no sheep, no ox, no donkeys. For they would come up with their livestock and with their tents, they would come in like locusts in number because they and their camels were innumerable and they would come into the land to devastate it. So for seven years, year after year, the nation of Israel would plant a crop, put it in the ground, Crop starts to come up before they could harvest. The Midianites are coming. Dad would tell his family, we've got to pack up the tent. We've got to go. We've got to hurry. We've got to go to the caves. The Midianites are coming. The Midianites are coming. The Midianites are coming. And so they would pack up their stuff. They would head for the hills, literally head for the caves. You couldn't take your livestock up the mountains to hide in the caves, so they'd leave them behind. The Midianites would come and destroy everything. Uh, Dad, do we have to go to the caves again? Uh, yes, son, the Midianites are coming. Dad, It's boring up there. I mean, there's no PlayStation. There's no school. There's no... Dad, do we have to go? We get hungry up there. Dad, Dad, do we have to go to the caves again? You ask too many questions. Go talk to your mama, boy. I mean, can you imagine for a second? Year after year, for seven years, the time the crops are in, the livestock are out there, the Midianites are coming, they tuck their tails, run for the caves, they're afraid to face their enemies. They're afraid to do it. And so they just capitulate and they, and they head in a whole different direction rather than trusting God and standing against the enemies and the grace that he's given them, they run. The Midianites were nomadic people. 
whom were rotted other people's lambs, and they were scared of them, and so they would tuck their tails and run. The Midianites are coming. When I was a kid growing up in New Orleans, summertime would come, and the Midianites came. We called them mosquitoes. It's a state bird of Louisiana. I mean, there are mosquitoes that big in Louisiana. In fact, I, I don't know how we're still alive because as kids, we'd get on our bikes and we had a mosquito spraying truck. You remember those? And, and all that stuff, we'd ride our bikes behind that, breathing that stuff in. It's amazing we're alive. But when mosquitoes came, we ran inside. Moms and dads would call, you got to come in, you got to come in, you got to come in, you got to get sprayed up or you gotta, you're, you're going to get eaten alive. Well, that's what's happening here. Midianites are coming. We've got to go. We're going to head for the hills. We're going to tuck our tails. We're going to run. No mention of trusting God, calling out to God, honoring God. We're just going to tuck tails and run. We're not going to face our enemies. Let's head to the caves. That happened then. I suggest to you it happens now. See, we look at the culture we live in, and rather than penetrating the culture, we isolate from the culture, so we run to our caves and our living rooms and run. Say, oh, there's a lot of mean people out there. I don't want to be with them. What if, what if, a lot of angry people. So what we do is we run to our caves and we get our computers and we send out angry emails and posts. Or, or, or we're saying, you know, the, it's a battle. And, and so it's too hard to do. It's too hard to face. And so we go to our caves. It's too hard to restore that failing marriage. So we retreat into a cave of despair and divorce. Too hard to face a sexless marriage. So we retreat into the world of pornography and fantasy. We live in these caves, and we think it's normal. And rather than trusting God to overcome the enemies we face, we hide. And so finally, after seven years, look at what happens. After seven years, it says in verse 6, Israel was brought very low, literally in Hebrew it says they were humiliated because of the Midianites, and the sons of Israel, Zaiked. The Lord, that is, they called out to the Lord. It took seven years. It took seven years before anybody starts crying out to God and says, God, you got to do something. God, we need you. God, we're sick of this. God, we're tired of being in the caves. God, it's a, it's a nightmare. They take everything we have year after year. We plant the crops, and, and there's no record prior to that of them calling out to God. God has given them warning after warning after warning. You marry their women, you're going to worship their gods. You don't get rid of them, they're going to do it. I mean, we need to obey the warnings of God. My favorite warning, uh, this is actually a warning sign that was on the back of an Amish uh, uh, harsh-drawn thing. Uh, what do you think? Carriage, that's the word. Energy-efficient vehicle, runs on oats and grass. Caution, do not step in the exhaust. <laughs> God's word is filled with warnings for us. You're ignoring the warnings of God? You ignoring the warnings again? Don't be unequally yoked. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. It goes on and on and on. Well, Buku Midianites would come. By the way, this is the first time camels are mentioned as weapons of warfare or as being involved in warfare. Camels were the long-range bombers of those days. They could travel up to 100 miles a day. It changed the way Wars were fought. Seven, fought, seven years running to the cave, discouraged, depressed, distressed, hopeless. Hopeless. Finally, they call out. Every year, they're hoping it's a new year. Kind of like you and your favorite football team, new year, you hope it's different. But nothing changed. Finally, they call out to God. Well, God responds, and he helps them choose, and he doesn't help them. He, he chooses a deliverer for them. 
It's interesting. They cry out and what they want is a savior, but the first thing God gives them is a sermon. But before he sends them a savior, he gives them a sermon. He wants to remind them of who he is and what he's done. So if you pick up with me in verse 7, it says, It came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord and accounted the Lord, he sent a prophet to speak to them. And the prophet said, It was I, this is verse 8, who brought you from Egypt. It is I who brought you out of slavery. It was I who delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians. It was I who delivered you from the oppressors and dispossessed, the, the, the dispossessed them before you and gave you their land. Verse 10, I am the Lord your God, and you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites whose land you live in. He says, let me give you a little history lesson. The Midianites are nothing compared to the Egyptians. Your forefathers overcame the Egyptians. And because of that, you should trust me right now. now I am the same God. I haven't changed in the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I am the God of history. I'm the God who's done these things. I accomplish these things. You need to trust in me. Not only that, the reason you're in this mess, the end of verse uh, verse uh, 11, I'm sorry, the end of verse 10 rather, but there it is, there's the contrast, circle it, but you have not what? Obeyed me. He says, here's the issue. Let's not confuse the facts. The problem now is you're in this mess because of your lack of obedience. You're in this mess because you don't trust me. You're in this mess because even though I have the same power, I'm the same God, you're not trusting me to accomplish your head for the caves rather than trusting me to defeat your enemies. That was then. May I suggest to you the same thing happens now? Rather than trusting God to overcome the enemies we face, the battles we face, the trials we face, we do any number of things. It's interesting. I'll show you what Gideon does in a second. And so God says, I'll send you a delivery. He gives him a sermon, but then he says, okay, I'll send you a deliverer. Look at verse 11. The angel of the Lord came, and he sat under a tree that was an Oprah. That's an Oprah Winfrey's tree. Belonged to Joash the Azurite. His son Gideon was beating the wheat in the wine press. If you say the life of Gideon at all, you know that's unusual. The nation of Israel usually didn't beat wheat in wine presses. They beat wheat in fields. You would take a sleigh, you'd take it around with a millstone, and you would grind the wheat. He's doing it for one of two reasons. Either the crop is so small that uh, you don't need a field, you just need a wine press, or more than likely, it's because uh, Gideon was gutless. That's what uh, Chuck Swindoll calls him. Gideon the gutless, because he was fearful. He's hiding in the wine press. The Midianites are around. They can't see him in the wine press. They can see him out in the open field. And I think it's with tongue in cheek that verse 12 takes place. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. He's anything but a valiant warrior. He's not valiant and he's not a warrior. I mean, he's got, you talk about a guy struggling with self-esteem, He nominated himself for most unlikely to succeed, and he won the award. I I mean, that's Gideon. He sees himself as the least of the least. So in verse 13, Gideon's first response to God is, Oh, my Lord, if if you are with us, why has all this happened to us? What's Gideon saying there? It's your fault. It's your fault. God, we're in this mess because of you. He's blaming God. He says, God, if, if you are with us, why is this? And where, verse 13, are all the miracles that our fathers told us about? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us the hand of the Midianites. Gideon says, hey, why, we've got a problem. God says, Gideon, I, you're, you're the valiant warrior. The angel of the Lord says, you're the valiant warrior. And Gideon's first response is, it's your fault. It wasn't for you, we wouldn't be in this mess. You got us in this mess. That's the problem. So, blaming God. 
You ever blame God? Listen to radio this week when I was driving. I tapped my hearing aid twice because I think, well, I really didn't hear what I think I heard. It's a guy being interviewed who wrote a book entitled Forgiving God. Think about that for a second. Christian radio. Author writes a book, Forgiving God. What is the implication? The implication is God has done something wrong and therefore he needs forgiveness from us. Really? The good and holy and perfect God has messed up and you need to forgive him. Forgiving God. Don't buy the book. It's psychobabble and it's theologically incorrect. He's a perfect God. He's a good God. He's a holy God. But sometimes we end up like Gideon. And we say, God, it's your fault. We shake our fists in the hands of face of God and say, it's your fault, God. It's your fault. Let me ask you a deep theological question. Who do you think is going to win that battle? (laughs) You or God? And so Gideon says, hey, um, it's your fault. The Lord looked at him. If I was with Gideon, I'd go running, waiting for lightning to strike him. But God is good to him. God says, go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you, Gideon? I'm equipping you, Gideon. I've called you to do it. Gideon says, God, it's your fault. Look at verse 15. He says, God, I'm not adequate. He says, oh, Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least of Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. I'm the least of the least. Gideon's first excuse is, God, it's your fault. God, I can't. I'm not adequate. And then in verse 17, so Gideon said to him, if I found favor, show me a sign that it's you who speak to me. God, prove it. And so God is very patient with Gideon. He says in verse 14, Gideon, I'm sending you. In verses 16 and following, he says, Gideon, I am with you. Look at verse 16. Surely I will be with you. And then in verse 34, most importantly, look at what he says. So the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And and so he said, Gideon, not only am I with you, I'm placing my spirit within you. And Gideon, you're not going to go out in your own power. You're not going to go out in your own might. Gideon, I am sending you. You will be be the one who overcomes. Gideon, you can be totally confident in who I am. So Gideon said, prove it one more time. So he does the famous fleece test. Do you remember that story? God, if you really are God, you really are the one who wants me to go, I'm going to put this fleece on the ground. And this is Gideon's way of determining the will of God. I'm going to put this fleece on the ground and God, let the fleece be wet and the drown be dry. And I know if that's the case, then you are who you claim to be and I will do what you want me to do. This is found in verses 36 through 40 of Judges chapter 6. And so Gideon does that and he wakes up the next morning and it was so, it says in verse 38. And so he rose the next morning and he squeezed the fleece, it drained the dew from the fleece. Then Gideon said to God, God, do not let your anger burn against me. Verse 39, God is a very patient God, I'm telling you that. If I was, if I was God, I would say, Gideon, you're done. I'm going to find somebody who wants to do this job. And so Gideon says, hey, let's do it the opposite way. It'd be a little more difficult for the fleece to be dry and the ground to be wet. And God patiently does it again and says, Gideon, you're the man. I'm going to prove it to you. And so God chooses Gideon and he says, I'll equip you for the task. By the way, some of you are filled with, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, just like Gideon was. I, I can't teach those kids. I can't rock those babies. I can't lead a group. I can't even go to a group. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. I can't give, I can't serve, I can't go. I can't. 
let me let you in on something. You can't, but he can. Not a Sunday I don't get up here, I don't I can't do this. Because I can't, but he can. Every Sunday I say, Lord Jesus, hide me behind the cross, use your spirit. Every Friday morning I get on my knees before I put a sermon together, and I say, God, these are your people, this is your word, you've got to speak through me. I can't, but you can. And so there's a part of us that should always say, I can't, but he can. Some of you say, I can't, and he can't, so you don't do anything. Where are you? So Gideon finally gets up, and you know the story. He gets his army together. His army has 32,000 men. The Midianites have 135,000 men. That's four to one odds. God says that's too many. Too many. And so Gideon got to downsize. He sends him a drink of water. You remember he gets rid of some by the way they drink water. And uh, I think Gideon's saying, God, didn't you invent math? I mean, I'm missing something here. God downsizes Gideon's army from 400 to 10, or from, uh, from 32,000 to 10,000. The odds go from 4 to 1 to 13 to 1. Uh, God says it's still too many. He downsizes one more time. Gideon goes from uh, basically starting with 32,000 men to 300 men. The odds are now 400 to 1. God says those are the odds I like. Yeah, as I like. You know why? Because God wants to make himself famous, not the nation famous. God wants him to make sure that this is done by his power, not anybody else's power. Uh, look at verse 2 of chapter 7. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands, lest Israel become boastful, saying, my own power has delivered me. That was then. <laughs> May I suggest we do the same thing now? Look at what I've done. Look at what I've done. Look what I've done. There was a woodpecker. He was in Yosemite Forest pecking on one of the big redwoods there. All of a sudden, lightning struck it and broke the tree in half. It went to the ground. He flew back and said, wow, look at what I did. It's <laughs> the way some of us live life. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Look at my bank account. Look at my house. Look at my ministry. Look at my family rather than give glory to God. From 32,000 to 300 men. So let me ask you a question. The Midianites have 135,000 men. The Israelites have 300 men. Whose side do you want to be on? 400 to 1. The difference is God is on the side of the Israelites, and so what we find out is that God plus 1 always equals a majority. So the battle takes place. The Israelites win. Gideon is a hero. Israel is delivered. Look at verse 22 of chapter 8. 8.22. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son, and also your son's sons. You have delivered us from the hand of the Midianites. Gideon, you're a hero. I mean, we want to have a parade down Central Street, and we want you to ride in the front of the parade, and we want you to be our king. We want you to rule over us. And Gideon, look at verse 24. I love this verse. Gideon, or verse 23, rather. Gideon says in verse 23, I will not rule over you. My sons will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. We go, yeah, hallelujah, praise God. Look at Gideon glorifying God. I'm not going to do it. My sons are not going to do it. God's going to do it. God did this. He's going to rule over us. And so we close our Bibles and say, end of the story. And we name a ministry, the Gideons. And we say, what a great guy. Look at what Gideon has done. He's a hero. 
He, not only that, he's spiritually minded. He says, I don't want the glory. I want God to get the glory. I don't want to be famous. I want him to be famous. We close the book and say it's all over, right? Wrong. You ever read the end of the story? It's tragic. I'm screaming out, no way. No way. Look what happens. Look what happens. We move from the deliverance of Israel to the demise of Gideon. And I want to scream out, no way. So Gideon gathered them and said, no, we're not going to rule over you, but here's what you can do. What you can do is give me some of the gold earrings that you have. This is verse 24. And so they give him gold earrings. And uh, verse 25, we'll, spread, we'll give them to you. They spread out garments. They all threw earrings that they had gotten from uh, the men they had killed. The weight of the gold was 1,700 shekels. That comes out to 350 ounces. Gold's about, I don't know, was it, twelve, fourteen hundred dollars an ounce right now. You multiply Gideon's got a lot of gold. He's got a lot of money. And not only that, look at what else he had. Look at verse 26. There were crescent ornaments. There were pendants. There were purple robes. There were neck bands from uh, the camel's necks. And so Gideon took them and gave them as an offering to God. Is that what it says in your Bible? No. Look at verse 27. Gideon made an ephod. There are two types of ephods in the Old Testament. Ephods were the outer garments the priests wore. This ephod is an image to be worshipped. So Gideon made an image to be worshipped, placed it in his city, Oprah, and all of Israel played the harlot with it there, so it became a snare to Gideon and his household. No way. No way! (laughs) Thank you. No way. Yes way. There, t- there, there are two things I see about Gideon's demise and with that I'll close. Number one, when I look at this particular section of Scripture, the first thing I observe, the spoils of victory, the spoils of success make us more vulnerable than ever before. When you are successful, you are vulnerable. The spoils of victory, the spoils of success make you more vulnerable than ever before. You've got a fruitful ministry, you've got a fruitful life, you've got a fruitful family, you've got a fruitful job, you've got a fruitful career, you live in... Be careful. Be careful. Uzziah, the great king of Israel, reigned for 52 years. He walked with God till he was an old man. And then it said, when he became strong, his heart became proud. Pride comes before the fall. Second thing I see about Gideon in his life, my question is, where's everybody else? Where's everybody else? In our core values, last week I talked about personal surrender. This week my mind's thinking about community and the value being community with other brothers and sisters in the body. Because I've got to ask the question, when Gideon was building an image, who stood up to him? Nobody. When Gideon called people to worship, even his own household, who, who rebuked him? Nobody. But when Gideon started getting earrings and started smelting them together so that they could have some kind of image to worship God, who reminded of what God had done? The scriptures don't tell us of anybody that ever did that. I don't know for sure, but it looks like to me Gideon had become a hero in his own mind. He lived in a life of isolation. And the result of that is he had nobody to rebuke him, nobody to call him to repentance, nobody to stand up to him, nobody to turn against him. Nobody. And so I look at that and say... Man, my prayer is that at TBC, we'll live in community together. 
that, that you, you found a, a small group of men and women who come alongside you, who know you, who love you, who care for you, who if they see you headed plunging into sin, they're going to stand and say, don't do it, no way, no way, no way. If you haven't done that, you've got to find it. The spiritual life is not meant to be lived in isolation. There are two types of Christians. Here's an analogy most preachers will never use. Maybe the last time I get to use it. First of all, they're blackjack Christians. You and the dealer, nobody else matters. Then they're poker Christians. You're concerned about, I mean, you're there for the camaraderie because everybody else is around there. Don't go home and say, me and our pastor told us we'd be poker players. But here's the reality. The reason most guys go play poker, the reason most guys go to deer lease, the reason most guys go play ball together, they love doing that stuff, but it's to be together. The reason you call two or three gals and say, let's go shopping, let's go to Austin for the day, let's grab lunch for the day, to be together. One of my great concerns as TBC has grown larger is that many of you live in isolation. It breaks my heart. And so we're doing everything as a staff team, everything as an elder board to, to give you opportunity after opportunity not to live in isolation, but to live in community with one another. Sign up. Be, be part of a group in September. Don't live in isolation. You'll end up like Gideon. Community is a valuable thing. Susie Mark, where are you? Come and join me up here. Would you welcome my sister Susie Mark to the stage? And uh, Susie, don't step on this big old roach that's up here right now. Jeez. Where are you? I hope you're reading these things behind me. This week on Facebook, on my Facebook page, I posted, I need some stories of TBCers who are living in community and what God's done through that. These all come from there. Go to my Facebook page this week and take a look at it. Marriage is saved. People growing in Jesus. People getting saved. People knowing how to walk with Christ. People loving Christ. Susie Mark is one of the people that sent me a post this week. And so I asked her if she would just come and share with us uh, what the TBC community has meant to her. So Susie... um, there are two, two ways the story goes. One is a ministry you're involved in called His Kids, and another is your son's personal journey and how that's impacted your family through the community of TBC. So would you be gracious enough to share that with us? Absolutely. I'm honored to have this opportunity to share briefly our story. Um, I want to tell you about the His Kids ministry, but to understand that, to share you a little bit about our family. Um, we have three children. We have a 23-year-old daughter who lives in Boise, Idaho, and her, with her husband. And then our 20-year-old son that's there in the green is Logan, and um, he will be 21 in December, and then Caleb is 11. Um, our son, Logan, um, has a history of epilepsy and had brain surgery as a toddler to remove a lesion from his brain, to, uh, which triggered the epilepsy. And at age five, he was diagnosed with autism. And so through that journey, God has been faithful. And when we began this journey, I had a um, UMHB professor who came alongside me and told me, when your days get hard, let God give you a scripture that's going to walk you through those hard days so that when Satan tries to feed your, your mind with um, things of this world, that you'll remember his truth. And that scripture was to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. In all his ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. 
And TBC has been that path for our family. Um, It's just been an amazing ministry. The His Kids Ministry, if you're not aware of it, is a special needs ministry for children, youth, and adults with disabilities. We have a classroom here that meets on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11. That classroom is for those children that need to be in a more more one-on-one care. But then there's also um, an opportunity for, like Logan, he has had the youth come, come alongside him We have community, uh, my husband and I, because when we get away from the community of God, then we, I I can speak for myself, I can have that tendency to go let let Satan kind of get into my mind and let me think about what we can't do rather than what we can. Um, The youth of TBC, since Logan was in junior high up and through high school, has embraced him. Uh, when he went into junior high, there were two college, um, high school students that embraced him. Cassie Ronslaven and Garrett Coles came alongside Logan to integrate him into his peers in junior high. And while he was in junior high, one of his peers that was actually in seventh grade was his friend. And when Logan became a junior, that same friend that was watching Logan in Sunday school came to me when he was a junior and said, I would like to be Logan's buddy. And so when we, as we were praying for Logan, for his needs to be met, for him to be in community, God was providing, and God was providing through the youth of TBC. Um, Evan was Logan's buddy for two years, and then his, he went off to college. His girlfriend took over for a year. Logan really liked that because she's really pretty. And so anyway, and so then when she, I just I share this because this is the youth of TBC, When they went off to college, I got a Facebook message from a mom who's a friend of mine, and she said, Becca has noticed that Logan's friends have gone off to college, and she wants to be his new friend. And so as we were praying, God was already speaking in the hearts of those youth. And so while the His Kids ministry for us is Logan being integrated with his peers out in the youth department, some of those children are in a, another place one-on-one where they can have that one-on-one care that they might need. And so it's just really been a blessing to see, um, to see the body of Christ come alongside our whole family so that we can all have community, and it's really been a blessing. And from that, we've also been able to start. We have a support group, a His Kids support group, that meets one Saturday a month so that we can serve and support and come alongside more families who are going through this same journey. We provide training. We provide child care so that the parents can come and feel comfortable. And those, those times when we don't have a training, we'll do something special for, like in June, we did a special thing for dads and fed them Miller's barbecue. So that was fun. And then in May, we had a mom spa day. So try to, to love on these parents. So, um, anyway, it's just been a real blessing, and I appreciate the opportunity to share our story. And um, thank you for loving our family and, and coming alongside thank us. Thank you, Susie. Thank you so much. Would you thank her? I, I, I don't know how God's spoken to you through the word today. I, I don't know if it's an issue with pride, if it's an issue of not heeding the warnings of God, if it's an issue of... Uh, not being in community and needing to be, but however it is, I pray you'll be doers of the word, not just hearers. And most importantly, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, let me tell you about my friend, Jesus. Eternal hope, eternal life, abundant life begins with him. And I pray you'll know him. Father, thank you. 
Thank you for hard lessons like we see in the life of Gideon. We want to throw up our hands and say, no way, no way. We look at the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat in his life. God, we don't want to be that way. When we're successful, keep us humble. When we're isolated, give us community. Help us never to blame you, but to trust you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.